Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? Let me ask you this. Do you ever look at your moisturizer or bottle of shampoo and think about the toxins and chemicals that are in those products? So we're talking about things that you use daily, maybe some hair care products or skincare products or even household cleaning products that may contain toxins that impact your health negatively and can disrupt your hormones. Well, my guest today is Dr. Katie Rose, and she's going to talk about how to reduce the burden of toxins on your body by switching out some of the things that you're using, how to know if this is something that you should be paying attention to, if it already is having an impact on your health, and what are some easy ways to get started if you're not ready to invest a lot of time and money into replacing the things that you're using, the products that you're using, with alternatives that contain less toxins and chemicals. And let me tell you a little bit more about my wonderful guest. Dr. Katie Rose is a licensed naturopathic physician practicing in Arizona and specializing in women's health, fertility, and hormonal issues. She found holistic medicine the hard way after coming to a point in her own health where conventional physicians said they had reached the end of the road in their treatment options. I think we all have heard this at one point or another. The irony was that this statement marked the beginning of the road leading her to a career devoted to getting to the root cause of disease and utilizing compassionate medicine that treats the whole person. And while Dr. Rose was in medical school, she was diagnosed with PCOS and was able to utilize the concepts and tools from her education to restore hormonal balance and optimize her health. She has helped hundreds of women restore balance to their hormones and to conceive naturally. So without any further ado, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Katie Rose. Dr. Rose, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, sure. So let's dive right in. And I want you to tell my listeners a little bit about what it is that you do, what kind of clients you work with, as well as anything you can share about your own health journey, because I know you have a a great story to share that I know many women with PCOS can relate to. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Katie Rose. I'm a naturopathic physician and I specialize in women's health and fertility. So I see a lot of hormone imbalances, um, you know, even in women who aren't trying to conceive a large population of ours is PCOS because it is such a prevalent condition. Um, And I also treat women with endometriosis and, um, you know, other types of hormone imbalance diagnoses. But my own journey is what really led me to that area of interest. So, you know, when I was in high school, I had really irregular cycles and um, I was put on birth control pill, partly for contraception when I started college, partly for my skin, which I had horrible cystic acne, and partly to regulate my cycles. And I spent eight years on the birth control pill. And during that eight years, I also had a lot of other health issues that came up that eventually led me to see a naturopath. So even though I was on the course of 
applying to medical school, while I was doing those applications, I was really hitting my health rock bottom and was referred to a naturopath who really just opened my eyes to all of the other questions that could be asked and the underlying issues that might be at the root of the health conditions that I was dealing with, which at the time was maybe less related to hormones, um, but really just changed my world in such a positive way. So I ended up going to naturopathic school and uh, about halfway through school, stopped the birth control pill because I just thought, gosh, I really want to see like, what does my body do on its own? I started understanding how the pill just kind of cuts off communication between the brain and the ovaries. So this regulation that I was experiencing wasn't truly what my body was doing. And when I came off the pill, I didn't have a period for six months. And I happened to have an appointment with my OBGYN when I was on a school break. And at that time, I got about four months without a period. And she just, she kind of brushed it off. Like, well, if you're not trying to get pregnant right now, why does it matter? So, well, it matters because like, I don't know what the heck's happening in my body. And I'm kind of freaked out. And what if I do want to have kids in a few years? Like, what, what does that mean for me? And here my skin is breaking out again. And I have these golf ball sized cysts in my cheek that take two months to go away. And like, isn't this all connected? And it was kind of like, well, you go back on the pill. We could do metformin. Like there, there really weren't options that I was comfortable with. So I thought, well, here I am in naturopathic medical school. I've got some mentors who have great tools. So let's start using those tools. And over, it took a couple of years to get my cycles back and regular and really feel tuned into my body. But when that happened, it, it felt really amazing to mm-hmm. know what was happening. And what kind of things do you remember worked and you were kind of realizing that, yes, there is something to do about this. It's not really the pill or nothing. What, what are so, some of those? Yeah, there, yeah. there were several elements that I think for me made a big difference. One was prioritizing sleep um, over studying or staying up with friends or whatever else I wanted to do, Um, switching out my products to less toxic products because I started understanding the relationship those had with hormones and um, decreasing inflammatory foods, which I think differs depending on the person. But for me, it was sugar and yeast and just generally processed foods Um, So not focusing on that calories in, calories out obsession that I had Mm -hmm. uh, early in my years of PCOS when I didn't understand why my metabolism was so defunct, right? Uh, Just focusing on eating real food, eating when I was hungry, tuning into my body in a much Mm -hmm. different way. Those were the biggest changes. I did take a lot of supplements to help with kind of resetting hormones after the birth control pill um, and that were individualized to my situation. So um, I don't wouldn't feel comfortable like listing all of them out and having, right. oh, that's what I have to take because I really think it should be personalized. But yeah. Yeah. And it does take time. Like, I'm happy that you mentioned that because it's, there's going to be a process that has to happen before someone finds the right mix of things that give them, you know, the right results. They, they, you know, that helps them recover from whatever issue that they're experiencing because with PCOS, the same type of symptoms could be coming 
from totally different root causes. So it's really important that everyone does their own exploring with what works. Um, but, you know, there is a way for someone to go through different lifestyle components and, and kind of try it on for size, see if it works, see how it feels, you know, um, but everyone's definitely different. So you touched a little bit about on on um, the products that you were using and replacing those with less toxic ones or things that contain less toxins and chemicals. And can you tell us a little bit about um, what are some of those toxins or what are some of the products that you were specifically you know, discovering as, as toxic for your body and, and what you see with your clients as well. So for me, I think a big one was I always had a plastic water bottle. Okay. Yeah. So common. Yeah. Reusable plastic water bottle. I am ashamed to say now, (laughs) but like, you know, like I would go to Costco, I would get a huge thing of water every couple of weeks and I would always have my plastic water bottle. And I started learning about how those chemicals that are involved in making plastics start to leach out into your water and those can disrupt your hormones. And so especially for someone with PCOS or any level of hormone imbalance, really that's like a big, (laughs) big red flag. And so one of the first changes I made was just to switch over to my trusty stainless steel water bottle, uh, which not only ended up saving me a ton of money in the long run, but reduces that particular toxic burden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, was also buying, you know, whatever, whatever I could get in bulk that was relatively inexpensive as far as hair care products or body lotion or body wash. And when you think about you know, women, especially are exposed to around 12 different body and beauty care products per day. And that's just on average. Of course, for some people, it's going to be less or more. And the ingredients like the parabens, the phthalates, the artificial fragrances, those are all potential endocrine disruptors. And they're not well regulated by our government, unfortunately. Yeah. I think people don't realize how poorly regulated the beauty kind of product industry is. is. I mean, there's really no governing of anything that happens with products and anybody could put anything into that. There are a handful of, of chemicals that have been banned, um, but it really hasn't been looked at in any great depth in decades. And when you compare what is allowed in our products here in the United States to what's allowed in the European Union, um, they have hundreds upon hundreds of chemicals that have been banned because they've been acknowledged as hormone disruptors, teratogens, carcinogenic, so you know, causing birth defects and related to cancer. Um, and beyond those really serious issues, so many of these toxins are neurotoxic. So someone with migraines or neuropathies, um, visual issues, I would be concerned about those. Um, they can be immune suppressing or cause respiratory issues. Mm-hmm. Just any system in the body can potentially be affected when our toxic burden gets too high. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a product and you see the different things and many of them you can't read or pronounce, I know I can't. So, you know, it's really, it can be overwhelming for someone to know what to look for and what are some of the things that really make a difference. So these um, 
chemicals that were banned, I'm assuming they were scientifically proven and tested and shown to cause issues. And now when we look at products here that have, you know, some of these, some of these chemicals and others, how would someone go about really identifying what to look for and what would be a definite no? Like what products would you say you should definitely put that product back? So there's a handful, right? I mean, there, I mean, there's a couple dozen actually that I would look for and, uh, I will include for all of our listeners, uh, a link to a handout that I created that has like the, if your product has the ingredients, like you're going to want to chuck it or at the very least replace it when you run out. Um, and that has 17 different items on it. I believe at this point, I try to keep it updated, um, every so often, but the Environmental Working Group website, which is ewg.org, is a phenomenal resource. It can be a little overwhelming to navigate to because you know it's drawing on all sorts of different um, toxic sources. But that is like our gold standard for understanding like what toxins to avoid. And there's an app called Think Dirty. Okay. Where you can even just scan the little code on the back of a product, and it can tell you basically on a scale of how toxic it is and which chemicals um, make it toxic. So is it something that is a skin irritant or has a relationship to cancer or reproductive health issues? Um, That's really helpful to have. Okay, that's great. Yeah, and I'll definitely link in the show notes to the resource that you have um, so that all my listeners can check it out. So when you see clients in your practice, um, specifically women with PCOS or other hormonal imbalances, what kind of red flags do you usually look for um, to to identify if someone has a high toxin burden? So if we've already had the conversation about just cleaning up the diet, decreasing stress, having you know, good tools to build resilience to stress in place. And we've figured out what exercise patterns or movement patterns work well for their body. And it's been three to six months and we just really haven't seen much improvement in terms of skin health or, you know, optimizing their body composition. That That's a red flag for me. I mean, we if we tested every single person on the planet for all the different toxic chemicals, like we would all have some levels of something. No one is pristine. But in, in this population especially, there seems to be um, more effect. So we might be more sensitive to some of these chemicals. So those are the types of issues I look for. Maybe their skin conditions are really stubborn, or maybe it goes beyond just having the cystic acne. Maybe they have chronic eczema or psoriasis as well. Um, or they have insomnia and anxiety um, or migraines that start you know, coming up that maybe aren't cyclically related. So there's a lot of potential symptoms. And most of it is like, well, if we've gotten three months into it, we're just really not seeing much improvement with these other lifestyle pieces. And we're going to need to dig into the environmental piece. Mm-hmm. And do you find that some women are more sensitive than others to certain types of chemicals? That that part in itself can be hard to piece out. Not everyone has the resources to test for the some of these chemicals, which you can test for them. But if we want to use our resources wisely and use it on treatment rather than you know running thousands of dollars worth of tests, um, it's 
pretty safe to assume that we should just start switching over to more natural products because of the studies that have been done on um, both human and animal models to show that not only do these chemicals affect us, but say you're trying to conceive, that can affect your child and your grandchildren. So these chemicals have what we call transgenerational effect, where you know if a, your grandmother happened to live on a military base where they did a lot of um, firefighting training with certain chemicals that contaminated the groundwater, that's going to affect the hormones in uh, her children that she was pregnant with during that period of time. Wow. And those genetic changes and that toxic burden it gets passed down even to that third generation. Mm -hmm. So I don't test everyone because we can pretty safely assume all of us have some level of exposures and wherever we can start avoiding um, toxins, switching over to more you know, non-toxic or natural products is always a safe bet. Okay. That's so interesting. So if someone did want to test, so you went, if you go by symptoms and someone did want to get a more specific kind of diagnosis, if you will, or identify exactly what toxins have built up for them, um, what, what kind of test is it? So I use mostly urine tests for these things, um, for the non-metals related toxins. So, um, byproducts of the oil industry, the plastics industry, pesticide residues. Um, I do use a urine test for that. So if someone is able to, to some extent, mobilize these toxins in their body, um, then you can see that on a urine collection. And then for toxic metals, uh, I use a couple different companies. So one that does a urine test and one that does a, a three-part hair, blood, and urine test um, to compare like how the how that person is excreting those toxins. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned pesticides. I'm just curious to know how you feel about organic produce and, you know, because I know the environmental working group puts out the dirty dozen list and that's usually the resource that I refer people to. But as a dietitian, we always have this conflict between telling someone, you know, conventional produce is okay. If you're eating enough produce, the benefits of that should outweigh the risk of the pesticides, assuming you're avoiding the most highly contaminated ones. So I'm just curious to hear your take on that. I, I would agree with that for the most part. I mean, if someone has the resources to eat 100% local organic foods and grass-fed and pasture-raised meats, then that's awesome. Not everyone has the resources for that. Like, you know, either it's too expensive or they're not even living in an area where that's accessible. So yes, if, if we could kind of have a tiered system of vegetables are going to be better than no vegetables. Right. Yeah. Um, 30 dozen, you know, going organic with those 12 items of produce is going to be better than not having any organic produce whatsoever. And, uh, you know, they, when they've tested not only the pesticide residues on organic products, um, pesticides, pesticide residue is much lower and the nutrient content is much higher too. So there is actually a greater nutritional benefit to going organic when you can. Yeah. So I'm, I do recommend organic as much as possible. 
Okay, that's good to know. And I think it's really important for listeners to know also that if something, you know, we're going into summer and we're still during COVID, so I don't know how many farmers markets are actually going to be open, but a lot of local farmers do use organic practices and grow things organically, but they don't go for the USDA organic certification, which is so expensive to get. They're usually too small, they can't afford it. But if you can go to a farmer's market and talk to your farmer and ask them what they're using, you're probably buying organic produce that's not certified, but then that's okay. It's going to be cheaper too. Exactly. And, you know, and that's, I think that's a huge part of this too. Maybe this wasn't our original conversational piece, but we need that community. And we're creating that community right now so much too. And when you talk about some of the things I did earlier on to help with balancing my hormones, going organic with certain things was a non-negotiable for me even though it was expensive, even though it really was a stretch for my budget straight out of medical school. Uh, But I I did, I made relationships with some of our local farmers at the farmer's market. And I mean, these are just, these are people that after seven years, like they're part of my life too. Yes. So to have that is pretty darn special. Yeah. It's so, it's so special. I agree with that a hundred percent. So we touched on the dirty dozen as far as produce. Are there kind of like, is there something equivalent in that with beauty products, like a dirty dozen list or some type of, you know? There there are a couple companies that have put out lists of, you know, the ingredients that you want to watch out for. And that's mostly what I included in my handout too. So there, there are certain products that in general have been harder to make good quality, clean products that really work like deodorant, for example. I think that's the one I hear about from patients the most often is like, but I can't be stinky and sweaty. Natural ones work for me. Yeah. I just recommended it to my sister-in-law and she called me and she said, listen, I'm all for it, but it doesn't really, it's not the same. So, you know, I get that. That's a real challenge though. Yeah, that one is a challenge. I think that's probably been the hardest one for most of my patients and even myself. And, um, you know, I will say if we continue working on some of these underlying health conditions, um, body odor tends to improve too. So if you have horrendous body odor, that's another red flag for me of whatever toxic environment might be going on in the body. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a good a good one to pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will say, you know, some people have jobs where like it's just it would be totally embarrassing and affect their lives if they were walking around with sweaty pits. So right. if if you can make, you know, twenty percent of these changes the first few months of this and like you've been using that deodorant for a million years, it's not gonna be a big deal if you have to use it a little while longer and just start experimenting with other products but that's probably the hardest one. Yeah. Yeah. I switched to a cream not too long ago that doesn't contain any, um, you know, it's, it's of the cleaner, I would say beauty products out there. And every time I put it on my kids know, because it, it, it's, it smells different. It just does. So when they replace the fragrances and things like that, do they mostly use essential oils for, Yeah. yeah. And I know some people can still be sensitive to essential oils, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, people, people often don't realize it either um, because they just seem like, well, just it's natural. So it must be good for me. So you still have to watch out for things. You can't absolutely be sensitive, uh, especially with skin and like underarms. It's a really vulnerable area too. Right. So if someone has made some of these switches and their, their skin actually gets worse, I would say like, no, you want to be careful of essential oils or products that you know, strip the pH too. Um, and that's another individualized issue. But um, I'm glad you mentioned fragrances because that really is like across all environmental toxins. That's such a huge um, know, pet peeve passion of mine. Yeah. In what way? Fragrance seems to be in everything. And it's one of the big culprits in terms of endocrine disruption. Um, these chemicals that are used in fragrances are to make them more long lasting um, and to you know stay on the skin for a long time or in your air freshener or whatever you're using it in your trash bags I mean it's like it's everywhere now yeah and they can, they don't have to list what's in these fragrances all it has to say is fragrance and that could be one of hundreds of different chemicals mostly from the petrol industry Mm-hmm. And those are ones that, especially with my population, who are struggling with fertility, oftentimes that affects both men and women. And with men who have seen you know, a dramatic decrease in sperm counts over the last 40 years, um, like you know, 45, 50% decrease in sperm counts, we now know that there's some relationship to those toxins with some of the fragrance products being a possible culprit. Mm-hmm. So is there a difference between something that's aerosol like fragrances or maybe Clorox or things like that and something that we put on our skin as far as how badly it impacts someone's uh, burden? It might just impact it differently. So for things that are aerosolized, um, I personally like note for myself um, more susceptibility to migraines or feeling kind of short of breath. At one time in my life, I had been diagnosed with like a reactive airway disease, like almost, you know, exercise induced asthma that looking back, I kind of wonder like, hmm, was that actually what it was or was it spraying Febreze all over the place? Wow. Uh, And and knowing like how those plug-in type air fresheners can um, contribute to some of that neurotoxicity and in children, respiratory issues. so. There might be a lesser effect on the endocrine system with things that aren't directly applied to the body, but it's still absorbed right. in some way. I mean, when you breathe this in, it's just getting in via a different mechanism. Right. So for women with PCOS in your practice, are there specific um, hormonal imbalances that you can kind of trace back to toxin burden or it's, it's, no, it's not other things yeah. yeah especially because PCOS is a spectrum right I mean you might have someone who's lean and doesn't look like a stereotypical PCOS patient but they don't get their periods their testosterone is off the charts and on ultrasound they still have that you know cystic appearance on the ovaries and then you can have someone who um, looks more the part of PCOS who has um, gained weight and has the cystic acne and hirsutisms of the hair growth where they don't want it and hair loss where they do want it. Uh, and all of all of these people could potentially have a toxic burden. 
because mm-hmm. that is hard to test in everyone, but it's safe enough to start making these changes. Um, there are, I mean, I have a couple studies kind of just like as a little side piece here, just in case you asked about that, but a uh, couple different studies showing that, you know, exposure to some of these chemicals, so specifically the organophosphate type pesticides and also the PFAs, which are involved in making flame retardants, which are like on our furniture and our carpet and our curtains and even some children's pajamas. Um, those are known endocrine disruptors. So they see changes more in animal models. It's so much easier to study animals, but changes in FSH and LH and androgen production. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's such powerful stuff. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere and it's unavoidable, right? Yeah. To some extent, it's unavoidable. So, you know, I don't, I hate to share this stuff and like overwhelm people or have people just live in fear of like being in the world and enjoying life. So I hope that this conversation just starts to bring awareness to it and know that you don't have to make all these changes overnight. You don't have to throw all of your furniture and every single product you own away. It's just starting to make conscious decisions now and carrying those through your lifetime and teaching your children about this so that eventually we have a society that has less of a toxic burden. Yeah, the awareness to it is really an important first step. But could you give us a few specific things? So if someone's trying to switch to non-toxic products, what kind of things do they need to look for on the label? So the label is tricky. I mean, looking for ingredients that are recognizable. So, you know, if it's like the Latin name of uh, a plant, like chamomile, chamomilla, like if that's something like, okay, I know what that is versus a chemical that's like polybromelene acetate. Ooh. Right. <laughs> that. Uh, so the, the ones that I look for specifically, if I'm just doing like a quick glance at something, like I know my husband is out of shaving cream and I... God bless him. Don't trust him to go pick up his own shaving cream. <laughs> I'll do a quick, quick glance. And if it says parabens, fragrance, pegs, or SLS, like the sodium laurel sulfate, like that goes right back on the shelf. Okay. So I'm looking for ingredients that I recognize as something I could maybe find in nature, or at least not something that is like a big red flag. Okay. That's super helpful. I think that's a really good starting point for someone who's, you know, has a lot of products or is using a lot of products. And, you know, those are probably things that we like and feel work for us to some degree. So I think that's good to look for alternatives within the same category that are more recognizable as far as the ingredients. Okay, that's great. And what about cost? Is that an issue? Do you find that those, you know, more natural or less toxic products cost more? They can. Um, I mean, there are definitely companies that do very well with their marketing and and their labeling and they look really nice and fancy and they charge more. That doesn't mean they're necessarily any better than a smaller company or a local company. Like when you talk about the farmer's market, like we have a couple people at our farmer's market that make soaps and shampoos and conditioners out of goat milk products. And they are really clean and they work. Um, So just starting to, as you bring awareness to this, knowing where to look. I think with the beauty industry, yes, things tend to be 
comparable to the price of like a department store makeups or perfumes um, versus like it's really hard to find something in a drugstore. Right. That is, you know, getting a $5 compact that's not going to have any toxins in it. Eh, that's less likely. But if you're already, you know, shopping at a department store and thinking like, oh, this is a really great product, but you start learning about these toxins, price point's going to be about the same. Okay. What about those soaps and, and lotions that you see in Trader Joe's? And those seem pretty clean. Some, some of those are pretty clean. Yeah. I mean, like olive oil based or things I like that. Trader Joe's is pretty great. They're amazing, right? <laughs> has some great products. Um, I've been really impressed with them. I mean, even like Dr. Bronner's soap, like yes. first son, I literally like made my laundry detergent partially with Dr. Bronner's soap because I was looking at some of these cleaner ones and I was like, $20 for this tiny thing of laundry detergent that's going to last me like a week with all these clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I make my own. It's some of the, some of this stuff is very doable, especially with cleaning products. It's very easy to have um, even less expense involved with going natural with cleaning products. Yeah. You and I spoke about vinegar a little bit before we recorded that that's been used for you know, hundreds of years as a cleanse and as a cleaner, household cleaner, that's probably as effective, if not more, as some of the more harsh chemicals. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you're just itching to have some sort of scent because you're used to having some sort of fragrance associated to make it feel clean, um, you know, you can soak your citrus rinds in vinegar before you make your cleaning solution. You can add essential oils to your solution. Um, probably want to. Google what you can't clean with vinegar because there are a few things that you wouldn't want to use vinegar on. But overall, yeah, it's a very effective cleaner. Um, and there's several companies now that make concentrated like enzyme, natural plant-based surfactant products that can be diluted out. And so for $30, you have a bottle of something that's going to last you for six months. Yeah. And I bet there are you know resources as far as... Um, beauty products that are kind of do it, do it yourself as well. I remember when I was growing up, my mom would always make these hair masks with avocado and honey and, you know, all of these things that you can find at home, um, yeah. which could be fun for someone to kind of try and experiment with. It absolutely is. Um, it's funny you bring that up. I, I know someone who is an esthetician and her business is actually about teaching other people how to make their own beauty care products based on like their skin type too, which can make a big difference. Oh, wow. That's cool. You see her, you see her skin. It's like, oh, this must be working because she is glowing. Yeah. What's her name? We should all be checking her stuff. Yeah. Rachel Pontio. Okay. We're going to link to her stuff in the show notes so everyone can go check it out because, you know, that's something that I think, first of all, would feel so good you know, like as far as self-care and just kind of doing something nice for yourself. And if at the same time, you're reducing your exposure to toxins, you're saving some money and you're, you're you know, you're making it a habit. I think that's a win-win. It's satisfying. Um, I, I have a patient whose husband actually started making his own beard oil because his beard was really irritating her. And, you know, with her hormone imbalance, things we were already like trying to get everything cleaned up and it's actually turned into a business for them too. No way. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's pretty cool to see these transformations that people can make as they make these changes too. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so if someone would start with just one or two things, give us something that you feel is super doable, someone could do it right away and would be effective. What would that be? So switching water bottles over to either stainless steel or a glass water bottle would be my very first recommendation. Uh, and, and then probably ditching perfume fragrance related products, which might be one of, it sounds simple to me because it's been so many years that I've done it, but I realized that for some people it might be challenging because they're either very attached to these scents or they realize like, gosh, there's fragrance in everything I own. Yes. But I would pay particular attention to that because it is so ubiquitous. So you're referring to body lotion as well and all, yeah, all that kind of lotions, stuff. All, all of it. You read the label and it says fragrance or if you get your you know, laundry sheet, your dryer sheet out and it smells pretty strong and, and fresh, but that's some persistent chemicals right there. Okay. All right. I'd be curious to hear from my listeners what kind of things they realized have a fragrance. I think we take some of these things for granted and we want everything and all to feel to smell really nice all the time. You you mentioned the um, Glade air fresheners. I know a lot of people who burn um, candles all the time at home. I mean, I can only imagine like the impact of all of that. And I know for sure that that causes migraines for me, certain, you know, smells and... Um, those um, air fresheners and, and candles are definitely triggering migraines for me. So it all makes sense now. Yeah, uh, I know. And it can be challenging. Like I said, just making small switches where you can. So if that's like your favorite candle in the world and you want to wait until that candle has gone down before you switch over to, you know, like an essential oil-based diffuser, then that might be a good choice. Or um, wool dryer balls instead of using laundry sheets. And if you need that fragrance, adding some essential oils onto the dryer balls before you stick them in the dryer. So there are, uh, there are lots of potential switchover options to still keep things smelling nice and fresh right. without slowly poisoning yourself. Yes. Yeah, so there's a cumulative effect to this, right? Yeah, so if we think of our body as like a barrel and, you know, Everyone is born with a different level of toxins. Everyone is born with slightly different genetic detoxification pathways. So, you know, our liver and our kidneys are inborn detoxification systems. But when those start to become overwhelmed, so as the water in that barrel starts to rise and get to the top, it's going to overflow somehow. And that's different genetically for each person and also depending on what their lifetime exposures have been. Okay. So in terms of how long it would take for someone to see a difference, it, it really varies, right? Because it depends right. on what yeah. happened. Okay. I, I mean, I would say most people don't notice within like months, um, unless they're very in tune with their skin or like with the migraines. That's one that, you know, I had someone who, she had no idea that her own perfume was causing her migraines. Um, which was pretty eye-opening when she got rid of it and then brought it back just for one special occasion. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this to myself for years. Uh, so yes, it's, it's cumulative. It takes time, just like any change takes time. And it takes an understanding of these detoxification pathways and knowing that there's no magic one-week cleanse that can get rid of all of these toxins in the body or you know, magically cleanse the liver in one week. Like it, it just doesn't really work that way. 
Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Because I think I wish it did. I wish it did work like that, but it just doesn't. And I think being patient and consistent is the hardest part for some people, but it yeah. does pay off. Yes. Yeah. Maybe if they hear it from enough of us. <laughs> right. Thank Although it's true, but I've yeah. lived so I know. Good. So I think that you left some really um, tremendous value in this interview. You gave us some really great suggestions. It's important that people know it's not all or nothing. So you could get started with the simple things that you have mentioned. Certainly the water bottles are, I would say, a fairly easy one because these glass or metal bottles are inexpensive mm-hmm. and they're more environmentally friendly as well. So there's even more reason to make the switch. Um, so I think those are really great things. Is there any other tip or kind of final thoughts you want to leave us off with today? Um, I mean, as far as final thoughts, I think if people have any specific questions about this, they can feel free to contact me with them. Um, You know, I try to pay close attention as best I can to my Instagram messages and through the contact form on my website. Yeah. So tell us Uh, where can people find you and kind of find additional resources and learn about your work? Yeah, so on my website, there is a download for environmental toxins um, to balance hormones and optimize fertility. Um, so I have a resource list there of you know where are toxins found most often, what are some quick changes that we can make, what are things to avoid, and specifically for my fertility patients, like what are some facts about toxins? Um, you know, maybe you have a partner who's more resistant to making these changes and you can say like, ah, sperm count right here. Right. Um, so that resource is there. And I am on Instagram and Facebook as well. So you can follow me there. Uh, I have a private Facebook group for my, my people, my audience who's trying to conceive where I try to do um, videos about, you know, what are some underlying causes of infertility, where are some changes they can make in our lifestyles to support that. So okay, those are all options for people to reach out to me. Great. And I'll link to everything in the show notes so people can easily find it. Um, Thank you so very much for the interview today. I had a great time chatting with you. I think this is going to be a very highly popular topic. So I thank you again. Hopefully we won't spin too many heads. (laughs) That's right. Yes. (laughs) All right, Dr. Rose, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I've found a lot of great insights, strategies, and information in what we discussed today. For more information, please visit the show notes below so you can get all the details, links, and recommendations that were discussed today. And if you like this podcast and what you've heard today, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you never miss when new episodes are out and you also help more people find this information. I'll be here again next week with a new episode. Until then, be well. Bye for now.